Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. This show will be airing on Christmas Day. And first of all, Merry Christmas to all our listeners who celebrate. Happy day off if you don't celebrate. Solidarity if you are working today. In the spirit of the holiday season, we thought that we would give back to the people who make this show possible. I'm talking about bosses. Without bosses, there would be no punching out, I think it's fair to say. God bless them. So you're saying they're, it's almost like being a job creator then. In a way, yeah. That's now, terrible. setting aside the fact that we would gladly trade this show for a world without bosses, we felt we needed to you know, give them something. But the question is, what do you give the people who already own everything? <laughs> you, you give them recognition. You give them awards. That's you exactly them, right. You give them hardware, to use the baseball term. So we've come up with the Punching Out Genius Awards, of which this will be our, the first annual edition. For the year 2019, we're going to try to honor the bosses who have just gone a step above normal bossness to the realm of genius. They've flown even closer to the sun than most of them. (laughs) And to sort of illustrate what we mean when we say genius, I think our first winner is going to be very Emblematic. Exemplary, yes. exemplary. He's he's got everything. He's you might call him a five tool boss. <laughs> I mean, he's got in, he's got arrogance. He's got hubris. Uh, yes, he's got quirks. He has a god uh, complex. Yes, I don't even know where to begin with this guy. I mean, he just screams genius in everything that he does. <laughs> But correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's the first winners, right? Yes. Of the award. You're, you're exactly right. That's that's one of the things he also has because behind every great boss is an equally great spouse in terms of punching out material. <laughs> we are talking, listeners, about the Newman family. Adam and Rebecca Newman, who you might remember from our episode about WeWork not too long ago. They really went above and beyond the call of duty this year to make this show special. I mean, 2019 was the year of the Newmans. You can't really you can't really talk about this year in being a boss without talking about Adam and Rebecca Newman. These are people who did the fuzziest math of all time <laughs> to massively inflate the value of WeWork, a company that once again is a landlord. Mm-hmm bungled an IPO on a level not seen since apparently something like the 30s or something like that, had to step away from the company Mm -hmm. so that a Japanese bank got a billion dollars to do so. Mm -hmm. Yes. Nearly $2 billion. Indeed. And are still, last we've heard, pursuing other projects that no doubt will continue to ruin many other industries on top of this original one. That's a good summary of what they've done, yes, but the details oh. are just... Well, <laughs> that's where the devil is, you know? Yeah. 
I'm going to read a section from New York Magazine, a piece by Reeves Weideman, who, um, and this sort of lays out just where they went wrong with the uh, the numbers of no, their no, IPO. Brian, they went right. They went they, very right. Everything they did got them to this point, which is only good. I mean, that's right. that's why they're winning awards here. <laughs> Quote, an S-1 is meant to be a blind financial document, but WeWorks took a different direction. <laughs> With Adam's encouragement, Rebecca became unusually involved in the artistic presentation of the document. The traditional approach to producing an S-1 is bankers and lawyers hashing this out, but the process was continually usurped by Rebecca's involvement, one executive said, echoing a sentiment expressed by multiple people who worked on the project. She treated it like it was the September issue of Vogue. How many, okay, over, under, on the number of fonts that were used in this document. <laughs> I'm going to say it measures in the dozens. They did, I don't know about that, but they did do a reshoot on the photos included in it because they were not up to their standards. They <clears throat> they they sent people out all and over the world. They didn't have enough halos around something Adam like and Rebecca's heads, I would yeah, assume. Something like that. Uh, to Quote from the article, the thing that's so damning about all that is that it's not the point of the document, a person who worked on the project said. Not with that attitude. That's the thing about WeWork. (laughs) You're spending all this time working on the surface of it instead of the actual truth of the thing. I mean, it's a real estate company that calls itself tech. Which is why they're getting the award for tech genius of the year. Yes. We wanted to honor their, their wishes. Um, That's fair. It's, it's just I'm, I really admire them. They're such a power couple. Um, I truly hope that they never have to go through what Rebecca Newman's cousin Gwyneth Paltrow had to go through with with Chris Martin and a conscious uncoupling. Yes, that would be really heartbreaking. And I don't know that we as a society could handle that. I don't. I mean, uh, among other things, who gets custody of the other noted Newman, Gary? <laughs> Adam and Rebecca Newman, I personally argued for them to get what I was calling the Frank and Claire Underwood Power Couple of the Year Award because truly you can't have one of these people without the other. You can't have Adam's – let's understate this by about 200% and call it flair for the dramatic (laughs) without Rebecca's ability to micromanage every stage of a project. And you can't have Rebecca's extensive involvement in all of of Adam's dealings without Adam's ability to, despite bungling every aspect of those dealings, somehow make money from them. Mm -hmm. So after this disastrous S1, the IPO was suddenly faltering which is where we pick up this New York Magazine article. Newman and McKelvey hosted an all-hands meeting at WeWork headquarters. McKelvey spoke first, remarking that it was amazing how many people knew about WeWork now and encouraging employees to reconnect with the company's (laughs) pure intent of bringing people together. It's right there in the name. It's WeWork. (laughs) Newman told the crowd that WeWork was being criticized because we poked the bear, meaning the disruption-resistant world of commercial real estate. The trademark debacle, that's when he tried to trademark the word we, he explained, Uh, was the result of bad advice, and he planned to give the money he made from selling the trademark back to the company. Apropos of very little, he announced that the company would no longer use furniture with leather as a material. Referring to concerns about his control of the company, Newman said, I rarely give away my power, and when I do, it's to my wife, who he said was 99% right, according to multiple people who watched the speech. So he's a feminist? In a way. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad he's got that going for he's him. He's a wife guy. Newman... <laughs> 
99% right, wife guy. <laughs> Newman concluded with yet another moment of life coaching. Change your inner self. Change the world. Oh. That... This is, uh, okay, I don't know if you haven't listened to the the episode of Sutter We Broke that we already did on this guy, that we already did on this guy. Do we have to Here pay him money because we kept saying we? He sold the trademark. That's yeah, true. to the company. That means they own it now, For right? $5.9 million. Jesus Christ. And then he gave that money back, which does make Nothing. you wonder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, except give him a tax rebate, it's, I would uh, imagine. Money yeah. left his right hand and entered his left it hand. It did. It was and, and that is a very, his right and left hands not knowing what the other one is doing is a very appropriate metaphor for him because I, I don't know if you listened to that episode, but some of his greatest hits, he wouldn't let his employees eat meat or expense it, sorry. He wouldn't let his employees expense meat, but he can continued to do so. He um, he said once, I believe, that his top two jobs, if he couldn't be president of WeWork or the We Company, were um, president of the world mm-hmm. or prime minister of Israel. That's right. I, I believe who, those were his two top two choices there. Yeah. So who was it? Banks that were, that were deliberately quoting uh, Mother Teresa. Lemonol Miranda. It was Goldman Sachs. Goldman, Sachs, Goldman yeah. Sachs. So like they were pitching him and they- Who could, are geniuses all on their own. Yes, I mean, that's, that's an organization. They, they knew pogey. how to reach Newman because they, they knew he would like being compared to figures like uh, Steve Jobs, Bob Marley, Mother Teresa, and Lin-Manuel Miranda. And given that I know bad things about every single one of them but Bob Marley, it just tells me on an instinctual level that Bob Marley must have also been a piece of crap. <laughs> Like just to be and, in that, and, he's and just, now we've lost all the reggae like, fans. Sorry, guys. I, I I think it's just you know he would have been on a college dorm poster. Yes. <laughs> no, that's that's exactly it though. And oh there's God. something amazing in the we dorm. Would you know we live? <laughs> sorry. Yes. The the amazing thing I think about that story is that it tells you how much. The ultimate object of becoming a boss, of becoming a CEO, the ultimate reason I think that these people do it, I don't even think it's the money or the power. It's the adulation. It's the fact that even people who are trying to get one over on you understand that they have to stroke your ego and sometimes other things in order to do it. So what you've got here is just a never-ending stream of positive reinforcement. You're... Uh, well, that's what we're doing today, right? Exactly. I was going to say, <laughs> please don't ask why we're giving these people awards. But <laughs> um, Oh, my uh, God. You talked about his desire to be president of the world, and I think that's uh, emblematic of his large ambitions for both himself <laughs> and the company. Quote Lord. from a we New grow. York Post article now, among Newman's reported wildest dreams was creating WeWork Mars, an office space Ooh. on the red planet. No one nearly spit out water <laughs> as he heard me say that. We deoxygenate. Oh, it's going to start, in, you know, in actuality, that's how the Martian starts. Some like poorly constructed rocket made by this idiot ends up leaving Matt Damon on the surface. Continuing. <laughs> At a company event in 2018, he said, there are 150 million orphans in the world. We want to solve this problem and give them a new family, the WeWork family. Ugh. Ugh. No. <laughs> That's creepy. This is what happens when you let that guy read Dickens. According to a New York Magazine story from June, Newman recently told a person close to the company, when countries are shooting at each other, I want them to come to me. Oh, wow. And we mediate? It, 
it, it should be noted that he's had talks with Jared Kushner about uh, Another solving genius? the Middle East. Uh, oh, yeah. How's that I mean, going? how has that not happened yet with two people with that much intelligence and drive to get the important things in life done? How how do we still have problems in the Middle East? Speaking of the Middle East, this is oh, from God. a Vanity Fair article <laughs> about this. Newman told colleagues that he was saving the women of Saudi Arabia by working with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman to offer women coding classes, according to a source. Could somebody ask him if he knows his way around the hacksaw? (laughs) (laughs) It's that's... Uh, Continuing. Shortly after the news broke in October 2018 that Saudi agents tortured dissident and Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi and carved his body with a bone saw, likely an order from the crown prince himself, Newman told George W. Bush's former national security advisor, Stephen Hadley, that everything could be worked out if Bin Salman had the right mentor. Confused, (laughs) Hadley asked who that person might be, according to a source familiar with the meeting. Newman paused for a moment and said, me. Oh, no. I'm telling he, you, it's just the more you hear about him, the more you understand what a genius he is. Oh, it's, my God. There, there's just nothing that can pierce the bubble of his self-regard. And, I mean, that is – that that's a person that – that's a five-episode uh, streak punching out guy right there. That's <laughs> yeah, incredible. Because – He's going to he's gonna tweet this episode out. All, all women need throughout the world to defeat the patriarchy and repressive systems that require, you know, male chaperones to, like, leave the country for or whatever reason. Or your house. Uh, yeah, that's all women really need is just coding. Well, if you think about it, ultimately, the patriarchy is just ones and zeros. <laughs> and it's just how many of them. Um, this, there is no bottom to Why did we start with this? This is the same paragraph. Oh, God. <laughs> In another meeting, Newman said three people were going to save the world. Ben Salman, Jared Kushner, and Newman. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. What a trio. Oh, my God. That, that's, that's, that's a triumvirate for the ages. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Caesar, Caesar, Mark Anthony, and Crass has got nothing on these three. Oh, good God. The, the level of, can you imagine... You're a career diplomat or, uh, you know, the rare military officer that maybe your answer to everything isn't to shoot first or you're somebody who's been actually working on these problems forever and you walk into a room and those three are the people who are in charge of solving whatever issue you've been working on for the last 20 years. Incredible. How how has like the suicide rate among people who deal with Middle Eastern affairs on a daily basis not just shot through the roof since these three idiots have been in charge of all of it? It's incredible. It, it does kind of boggle the mind. But then again, I'm not a genius. That's so. the thing. I think, I think none of us is at the I, – I don't think anybody is a genius at the level that Adam Newman is. I mean he overperformed his, his – uh, uh, I don't even – I don't know that you can make an analytical case for it, but uh, I don't know that his numbers are, are always there. But, I mean, his – you know, every, every time he stepped out there, he really gave us something <laughs> special. Now, you know, we've been talking about Newman's grander ambitions both for himself and the company. But I think it should be noted, you know, this is a show about work, that these uh, what we might affectionately call quirks – 
have real impact on the people who work under Newman or who worked under Newman because he's no longer their boss now. Quoting from the Vanity Fair article, the torrid pace took a toll on morale. We would joke that we worked like slaves, a former WeWork employee said. Adam would have meetings on Sunday and you could never miss those. And sometimes it wouldn't happen or it'd happen hours late and you'd be there all night. You'd cry in the bathroom all the time, the employee recalled. At the same time the company was burning money to expand, staffers were made to feel expendable. WeWork's previous CFO, Ariel Tiger, great name, by the way. Amazing. It's a good name. Who served in Sci-fi the, novel name. Who <laughs> served in the Israeli Navy with Newman, there talked openly about firing people. Every two weeks, Ariel would get a printout of payroll, and he would go through and redline the bleep out of it, saying he wanted to reduce people's pay, a former executive said. I remember walking through the office, and Ariel would loudly say, why do we have all these people? I could do what they're doing with two people. Everyone knew he was Adam's guy. I mean, cool. But obviously that guy, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't exist if he wasn't, he wasn't walking behind Adam Newman. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's, but... I mean, he carried the entire company. (laughs) Right. Um, Newman inculcated in his post-collegiate staff a belief that they were members of a vanguard changing the world, or at least a belief that they may work in an office, but they didn't have to grow up. Employees were expected to attend Newman's weekly Thank God It's Monday parties and a roving annual retreat called Summer Camp held in different years at an upstate New York compound and an English country estate. Is the upstate New York compound, that's got to be where they were having that school we grow, right? It's possible. I, it's it, not it specified in this article. It's got to be, yeah. It's got to be. Because that was Linden that was Farms, uh, Linden Farms yeah, or whatever Linden it was Farms. that they bought for millions of dollars so that they could send like 50 kids there one day a uh-huh. week to. Uh, the events were one part TED Talk, quantum physics Michael Brooks gave a lecture, and another part, Animal House. Employees played beer pong and party to performances by Florence and the Machine and Two Door Cinema Club. Okay, Great. I well, like now Florence. I have to drop another band. Awesome. I, I think what you see in WeWork is they were selling not just here's a job, but here's you know a lifestyle. Here's mm-hmm. you can live like Adam Newman, which entails like walking barefoot through the streets of New York City, but that's another yeah. matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you know, have this party lifestyle at your office, and isn't that great? And who could not want that? Yeah, it's. I I make a point of bringing up the the capitalism as feudalism bit, but that really is. Adam Newman is one of its foremost examples in that, essentially, he could not stop the boss's natural inclination to turn the entire company into a reflection of themselves, which is something that, I mean, again, because nothing can pierce his bubble of genius, you know, mm-hmm. that's something that if, if you read supposedly objective management texts, you're not supposed to do that. <clears throat> that's not what employees say makes a good boss. That's not what people above you will say makes a good boss. But Adam Newman th- didn't have anyone above mm-hmm. him. So he was free to do this to his workers. Um, I'm going to paraphrase something that I think you've said, it, which is that you become management when your neuroses become other people's problems. Is, is yeah. that That's not a paraphrase. It? That's verbatim. Okay. Nicely um, done. Yeah. And this is exactly what happened yep. in the case of WeWork. You know, Adam Newman's uh, quirks, as I called them, became other people's problems. They yes. had to deal with his erratic behavior. We haven't mentioned, like, the airplane filled with marijuana. Oh, that's or, right. Uh, that's true. Yes. 
which walking barefoot through New York City, which we did mention yeah. that. Absolutely disgusting. I the, can't stop thinking about the that. the constant Jesus Christ complex. Yeah, it's. I mean, we could go on and we, on. We very and much on. could, but I do want one last detail about Rebecca Newman here because this is a uh, co award. Yeah. You know? um, executives wondered why the marketing consultant Jonathan Mildenhall, whom we work hired to develop its brand, was also advising Rebecca on her personal image. He asked her questions like, are you a magician, maverick, or a muse, said an executive who participated in the session. <laughs> At company events, Rebecca interviewed luminaries like Lin-Manuel Miranda and <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers frontman Anthony Kiedis. Already canceled. Last year, Rebecca fired a mechanic for WeWork's Gulfstream Jet, two executives told me, because she didn't like his energy. Oh, that's who it was. <laughs> I knew everything about yeah. that except what the employee did. Yeah. But that that's and, great. And they've had to put the uh, Gulfstream jet up for sale now that, you know, they're hemorrhaging money in. For a second, I thought Newman you were going to say they had to uh, put the Gulfstream jet down. How do down. you hemorrhage $1.7 billion? No, no, no the company. Oh, it, it's still why would your company property. have a private jet? Why not? I'm not a genius, so I really can't comprehend. Well, because it wasn't the company. It was Adam, <laughs> right? That's the genius bit. You launder if, – if you're this level of genius – you launder everything through your company. True. Everything is owned by the company so that you can walk away from it at any point, not having any of those liabilities or obligations that actually Wait. owning something does. You know those six-word stories? Oh, God. For, For sale, sale. Gulfstream jet. Gently used. Eh. <laughs> was, was that the jet that was full of marijuana? No, that was a buddy's jet. That was like somebody who lent him the private jet. Oh and my god! Then they, what a good friend! They stuffed a what bunch of weed into like friend. a box, and then the guy was like, "No, you can't borrow my plane anymore," and took the plane back and like stranded because he didn't want to be suspected of drug right. smuggling. Right? I was gonna <laughs> yeah. say, what? How good a friend are you when you put your friend through the the possibility of being arrested and on federal drug charges? The thing is, like, I had a roommate like this in college, you know, <laughs> who did stuff, just dumb stuff, and you know, but I don't think he's a billionaire. You know, it's just. Yeah. It's amazing what he was able to get away with. You know? Yeah. Well, that and again, that's the thing. Successful people, I was talking to a friend about this earlier for other reasons, and that's the thing with successful people. They're, they don't actually care about the people around them. At best, they can af affect some semblance of normal empathy. But for the most part, they've just understood the game, and they're able to play it very well. Like, I can't tell you how many of these people that you meet, you immediately understand it's not intelligence, it's not hard work, it's not particular talent at anything, except the ability to extricate yourself from trouble through some kind of inexplicable charm. And because we all, no matter our politics, no matter our economic you know, identity or whatever, are somehow susceptible to this constantly, these people continue to exist. Mm -hmm. And... Speaking of people without empathy or concern for those around them, we'll be back after this break with more Genius Award winners. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.
Welcome back to the Punching Out Genius Awards 2019. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. We are honoring you know, the most genius bosses of the year, the wo- ones who went so far beyond what is expected from bosses into breaking new territory, really. They, they provided outstanding examples of value to us personally by giving us all the material we needed to dunk on them. <laughs> Executive excellence. Exactly. <clears throat> the pogies. Our yeah. next winner comes from the video game industry, which we've discussed uh, in a couple episodes this past year, I think. Um, Famous for geniuses, the video gaming oh, industry. Yes. Uh, we talked about how there's uh, both attitudes about crunch in the video game industry, mm-hmm. you know, working absurd hours, and also how there's a male-dominated cu- culture in that industry. And our winner in the uh, Anger in Management Award, you know. Gordon Ramsay Anger in Management Award. Yes. I think you'll like this because there was a lot of competition for uh, this award just within the industry. The CEO of Razer is Min Liang Tan, and he is um, – there was a recent report in Kotaku about his anger, his uh, wrath directed towards his employees when things don't go his way. So you mean his passion? Yeah. His, his drive. En- his enthusiasm. His desire, his high standards, okay? Um, the article starts with this anecdote about how he got very upset about not being included in some fast company profile of like the 30 most inno- uh, innovative, innovative companies, companies or something. And proceeded to fire somebody who questioned, you know, his level of outrage about this matter. Well, because he said if you had done an in-person tour, Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably could have gotten you included on that list, but you refused to do it. To which, uh, and Tan did not care for being made to, you know, do his th- job. That this was his fault. Somehow. So he said, "Wait, you're telling me because I didn't go for the tour, you can't do your job. bleeping job?" Yeah. Yeah. And hours later, the man was fired. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. that's pretty great. He he, uh, Tan really is the epitome of just the crazy boss that you see on TV. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what stuff, it is? Literally it's, throws stuff at people. Last segment, we had Adam Newman, and like I said, that's a five-tool boss. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has all five tools. Some people hit for distance and hit for power. And in the case of Tan and his own company's products, he repeatedly did both. When the <laughs> standards didn't fit, he famously and admittedly, he admitted to this, mm-hmm. would throw stuff around the office, including at his employees, a thing that you're supposed to only be seeing in cartoons at this point. <laughs> or, or Amy Klobuchar's campaign. <laughs> More on that later. Uh, quoting from this Gotaku article by Celicia D'Anastasio, his management style became ruling by fear, said one former employee. He was without question a dictator. This was one of his quotes. This is not a democracy. This is a dictatorship. Then he'd qualify it, meaning I am in control, just in case that wasn't clear. Yeah. yeah. That, how is that a qualifying <laughs> statement? That's just repeating it. <laughs> there was nothing too big or too small. He didn't want to be controlling. Everything went through him. Nothing was done without him. So we should probably mention a little bit. Razer is a company that makes gaming hardware, right? Yes. So it makes mice. It makes laptops, uh, laptops I think, headphones, headphones yeah. that kind of thing. So I'm betting you right now that – the actual making of this stuff is something he did not want to be involved with at all because it involves 
uh, low-paid work and uh, long probably hours. long hours and fumes and other bunches of things that he probably didn't want to be involved with. But he was perfectly fine micromanaging every high-level aspect that didn't require him to get his hands dirty, I would imagine. And one of the 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 reason that that initial anecdote about the most innovative uh, company thing particularly infuriates me is because it's not his innovation. Uh, as the same article that we're yeah. quoting takes pains to note, the Razor brand didn't start with Tan. It started with a company that he – and it started with a separate company and he ended up getting control of that brand. Mm-hmm. And he's – in his own personal story, backdated the formation of the company to when he was just given control over it and then accused the media of misreporting the story that he's fed them, which, I mean, he's right. As we're going to talk about later in this show, innovation can mean a lot of different things. Yes. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, But uh, quoting from the article, one former employee recalled witnessing Tan and Rage that Razor's community team bungled a social media post and even mattered that he couldn't find anyone to take responsibility. When he encountered two employees who worked adjacent to the responsible team on a visit to California, two sources say, Tan yelled at them loudly enough with his office door open for the whole office to hear. Every other word out of his mouth was bleep. He went on for quite a long time at the top of his lungs. The employee added, it was a public shaming. Cool. Cool. I yeah. I mean, the saddest part about this whole guy is that we can't just quote him because it would be really boring to just say bleep over and over. Oh no, I got a good one for you because I I do love this paragraph. Tan denied throwing objects at employees or threatening violence towards mm-hmm. them. I have made statements to the effect of "Don't make me punch you in the face" or "I'll send my killer robots after you," but those statements have all been figurative or in jest," said Tan. He added that he has not heard of any employees complaining about him to human resources. In his words, "Fearful for their physical safety," which is exactly what somebody who throws this stuff at their employees the would say. Rare uh, profiles where somebody's like PR responses dig them deeper into a hole <laughs> because yes. all of these. Um, denials aren't exactly denials. They're just kind of reframing the actual incidents alleged. Well, Ryan, who's going to tell him different? He fired all of them. That's true. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, that, that's again, some, some of these people, they feel the need to rely on their PR teammates, but Tan, he just goes it alone, man. That's individual performance is what that is. And this is another company where the, uh, idea of a big payout at the end of the day when they go public was going to be the carrot at the end of the stick for employees to follow so that they would put up with things like, uh, quote, one former employee said their son was admitted to the ER after a car crash. While he was still in the hospital, they said, their boss told them to get back to work. Another said he was asked to work on his honeymoon. When asked about this, a Razor representative told Kotaku that they are a family-friendly employer and have adopted policies aimed at supporting employees with families. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I, this is what the former employees were saying, though. I likened working at Razor to Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> you bonded with the people you worked with. There's nowhere else I've been at where you bonded like that, but we all bonded over fear of what management was going to do with us. The reason for the bombing was, uh, for the bonding was survival. Bombing also works. I mean, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's what he liked to do to his underperforming employees. I think 
it, it's difficult to another reason that it's difficult to quote him other than his predilection for profanity is also that it's this is something we all know that we we have all had this kind of boss at some point then maybe they watch themselves a little bit better in in terms of the words that they say or maybe they don't throw stuff at you mm-hmm. but we all know we've had bosses who rule by fiat who don't listen to feedback who clearly do not understand that they also have a role to play within the company, who, like Adam Newman, are erratic and controlling, and who essentially the, the personal stamp that they put on the company is one of a, a need to please them at all times because you don't know what is going to get you terminated, which I'm sure, again, in Tan's terms, he'd prefer that to be more permanent than just employment. We're going to wrap up this award. I just need to uh, note this. Other quote from a, a Razor representative in regards to the company's culture of crunch around big product releases. You know, workers talked about doing 60, 100-hour weeks, you know, just absurd hours. And the Razor representative says, this is common in a tech startup, which this company is like 20 years old now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, not a startup. A startup. But that's it, it I, makes a lot of money. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's an established brand if you are a, a core gamer, as you know, as, as opposed to a heated gamer. The, <laughs> the uh, CEO is mentioned in this article as its chief gamer, which Ew. cursed Ugh. phrase from the world of video games. Gamers famous famous for their maturity, intellect, and understanding. Now we're going to move now to a, a different category, but also a boss who has some anger to work out. They do so not necessarily by yelling at employees, though that's a part, but through passive aggression, I think, <laughs> is, a, is a theme here. The, um, the award we're giving out here is the Amy Klobuchar Girl Boss of the Year to Steph Corey of Away. Now, first off, what is Away? This is a company I didn't hear about uh, until last okay. month. Okay, so Away is one of, I would say, like the five companies that sponsor every podcast you've ever heard that has ads. It is a luggage company is what it is. No, uh, no, it's a travel company. Oh, Jesus Christ, no. They say it's a travel company. Why are you believing them? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a luggage company Why would they is ever what it is. Lie it's a brand it's a more brand. than just I a company. both of you right now. <laughs> um, so, no. It's away sells luggage. Okay, I did the educator thing. I switched it to you know a verb phrase. <laughs> what it does is, it it, it just has fancy luggage that no, is it it's, markets towards millennials. Yes, yeah. uh, because it has phone chargers built into the thing and spaces for batteries. And we're not here to sell their products. Whatever, here. right? Yeah, it we're is not the a Dollar bot- Shave Club of luggage. That's another, yes, even down to the podcast sponsorships. So, yes, that is exactly what it is. But as it turns out, just like with Razor's keyboards and buying stuff, whatever the hell, um, that creating that customer experience and creating that product requires a lot of low paid work. It requires people to actually sell that to you in some way, shape, or form. And particularly famously with Steph Corey, which is why she's getting the award that's shaped like a comb with a little piece of salad lettuce on it, <laughs> when things go wrong, uh, a company like Away, their big emphasis in, in the whole millennial marketing thing is that they focus on customer experience mm-hmm. because why not confirm the stereotypes of millennials as entitled and complaining, right? Mm-hmm. And it is here that Away has found a lot of its problems because they, my understanding is, severely understaffed their customer experience team. And as a result, 
there have basically been constant problems with them yes. being able to respond to customer calls, especially around heavy times like Thanksgiving or Christmas or other times when people are might buy a lot of yeah. luggage. It's, But specifically with the Steph Corey, her big habit was chewing out employees via Slack. The whole company seems to have run v- on Slack, which is, if you aren't aware, you're lucky. Yes. <laughs> it's an app for companies to, I don't know, talk. Yeah, because they wouldn't let them email is mm-hmm. the thing. That's the important part. They literally would not let anybody at the company and, have email And the an stated reason for this is that it was about transparency. You know, Slack is – everything on Slack is very public. There are, you can, like, send private messages, but this was very discouraged. Yes. To the point where, you know, when workers had a channel sort of complaining about their experiences at the company, this was quickly shot down. Not just Someone as, snitched. Yeah. That is important to note. Mm-hmm. And then it was quickly shut down. Yeah. Don't snitch. <laughs> Don't snitch. Yeah. That's the lesson from Girl Boss of the Year. Don't snitch. Yeah. I'm- yeah. She's she's just the problem, and we've addressed this before on the show, is there's a stereotype with, with women in that if you're a woman in power, then you're automatically a bitch. Um I, unfortunately I would have to say that uh poor Steph here is um uh yeah, she's a bitch. I'm sorry to say. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> I think get the way I would put that is that if your solution to the problem of people like Min Liang Tan and Adam Newman and so on is the neoliberal hire more woman bosses, <laughs> the problem is that it's not the gender of the boss. It's their position in the company. <laughs> and so, you know, like – I guess what we're saying is there's no reason that a person who is not a man basically can be just as passive aggressive or just as aggressive in general mm-hmm. or just as abusive to their employees. Much better I, I do want to quote from this uh, Verge article, which eventually led to Corey's uh, leaving the company. Uh, Standing on ground on the Verge. <laughs> Uh, Quote, the day before Valentine's Day, Corey decided she was going to stop the team from taking any more time off. In a series of Slack messages that began at 3 a.m., she said, I know this group is hungry for career development opportunities, and in an effort to support you in developing your skills, I'm going to help you learn the career skill of accountability. To hold you accountable, no more paid time off or work-from-home requests will be considered from the six of you. I hope everyone in this group appreciates the thoughtfulness I put into creating this career development opportunity and that you're all excited to operate consistently with our core values. Stone cold. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I love it so much. This has the unique trait of selling a punishment as a bonus. Yeah. Well, this is an opportunity I'm giving you guys to never go home again. Because she doesn't have to. She knows that no one's going to take that at face value. But she also doesn't have to care. One of the things that that Verge article mentions is that Steph Corey grew up extremely wealthy in, I think, Ohio or some other Midwestern Mm -hmm. state, and presumably from the get was insulated from any actual criticism of her actions. Like we've all seen this character in movies and TV shows, and some of us will have seen it in real life. Mm -hmm. And this is what that person grows into. It grows into a person who thinks that that is a legitimate thing that you can say to somebody because they've never been told no. Just as an aside, this has the same tone of like the Pete Buttigieg campaign <laughs> saying, you know, we're going to give you choice for your health care, you know. We trust you to choose no. your health care. 
doing us a favor by not just giving us, you know, yeah. Medicare for all. Yeah. Yeah. Steph Corey has definitely edited her Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, quote, four days later, when she noticed two managers still had time off on the calendar, she was livid. If you all choose to utilize your bold empowerment to leave our customers <laughs> hanging, you will have convinced me that this group does not embody a way's core values. And let's be clear. Empowerment punishment. was a watchword at a way. When she bolds it and whatever, <laughs> she's making a reference to the fact that to a way, empowerment was working overtime, working from home, working every possible minute of your life to be, and here's uh, the the other watchword, to be customer-obsessed. Yeah. Not customer-centered, not customer-reliant, not no, no, customer-obsessed. Yeah. In other words, you should care about your customers to the point that you end up in the DSM-4 or 5 or whatever <laughs> it is now. And that, I think, is something that all of us who are in any kind of service industry have experienced. There's always somebody who wants you to care about your clients or customers or, in my case, students, to the complete exclusion of yeah. you as a person. Yep. We did that episode on emotional labor a few weeks back, and this is maybe the one part of it that we didn't get enough into, that this benefits bosses because it gives them more control over your life. That article from The Verge states repeatedly how even the boss of the customer experience team was – you know, in tears, sending emails to her employees saying that they were all going to have to work through holidays that they had already taken, that they had had for months, because simply Steph Corey and Jen Rubio, who formed the company, refused to hire staff. This wasn't an unsolvable issue. Yep. Mm -hmm. They just chose to put more on the people who were already there yeah. than fix the issue in a way that would have ultimately been better for everyone. Right. Yeah, because Steph is that obsessed, she just doesn't comprehend why anybody else isn't as obsessed and working at 3 a.m. to the same point as, as they are. Because even though, you, like the article said, she has a very privileged upbringing, she cannot let anything go. Like one person messed up one order and like they didn't emboss the name tags mm -hmm. enough. And she went on this insane rant at like 1 a.m. saying, well, you know, if, if uh, this isn't fixed right and not, and if we don't get 100% of these orders, 100% correct, 100% of the time, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to take over the entire ops thing. Like it's insane. Because that was the custom monogramming program, right? Yep. I, I would note uh, since The Verge's original report on this, they've had three new articles about uh, this company. One, that Steph Corey was stepping down. A leaked memo where employees were told not to favorite this article on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the third most recent was a report on the ways in which their work environment was literally toxic and not just emotionally toxic. Oh, cool. The monogramming at right. um, this plant, you know, required special paint, which uh, several employees said was giving them headaches and making them feel nauseous. And to tie in with our last episode on workplace safety, mm -hmm. they called OSHA over it. OSHA came in and did not find unsafe levels of chemicals, mm. which makes you wonder. But okay, um, but they were they were literally vomiting in the bathroom. They were suffering constant headaches. They were having actual health effects. And also, it's not like paint fumes are an unknown danger. Mm -hmm. yeah. They've been around. This isn't some newfangled chemical that we don't know the effects of. But it, it wasn't just and, – and that would be one thing, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just that. It was also the storefronts, wasn't it? Right. 
they had rodents. They had uh, no air conditioning. They didn't have water for the employees. They had to like go out. They had all this cash on hand because they didn't have bank accounts. That was the funniest Whoa. bit of all of it. The fact that managers were running the money to the bank in a duffel bag, like they're in a freaking <laughs> heist movie. Like, can you imagine? And this is how you know some things about who away hired for management, because I guarantee you that depending on who you hired, some people would have been stopped by the police if they've been running around New York with a duffel bag full of cash. Yeah. So I thought the whole point of direct to market retailers was that there wasn't a brick and mortar space. Mm-hmm. I yeah. we do not have time to get into all the fine details yeah. of the way, but trust us listeners she, when we say it's bad. Yeah, Steph in to summarize was extremely manipulative, passive aggressive, controlling. And that's why she is our genie girl boss of the year. Girl boss of the year. We'll be back after this break. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the 2019 Punching Out Genius Awards. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. We're going to talk in this last segment about our winners, winner and runner-up in the category of innovation. The Juicero Award. Yes. <laughs> One of the most special pogies to my heart. The innovation, we are told, is the engine of our economy. It is what makes 21st century capitalism work. Oh, for sure, man. And in this award, we see just what that innovation entails. First, our runner-up is a company from the UK called Standard Toilet, all one word. (laughs) And with camel case. The Standard Toilet, all one word, is (laughs) not a standard toilet, though. That's the first innovation. They're lying to you. It's the cleverness of these people. That is innovation above replacement right there. What the Standard Toilet is, is a toilet that is designed to be less comfortable. It is designed to be worse than a normal toilet. It is. A, it has like a 13-degree angle. They yes. studied out which angle would be best for causing leg cramps after five minutes on the toilet. Basically. So that you, as the worker, mm-hmm. um, only go to the toilet for the least amount of time possible so that you don't hurt your productivity. That's right. Uh, quoting from an article about it in Wired UK, the standard toilet comes with health benefits, claims its founder, Gil, uh, like improved posture, but their primary aim is to reduce the time employees use phones on the job, shaving minutes off your sitting to reduce monetary losses. Its main benefit is to the employers, not the employees, says Gil. It saves the employer money. You know, we, we talk a lot on this show about how the U.S. has the kind of workplace culture where you can essentially say whatever you want if you're the boss and Mm -hmm. and you just get away with it. But looking at this, the UK must be even worse because I think you'd have to tout the health benefits first off if you were trying to start this company in the US. Yeah, no, like the tweet that announced this was like breaking. People will be on the toilet less time, saving you money. Like There there were all these stats about the productivity loss from workers taking too long bathroom breaks, which 
I mean, we've talked in the show about how Amazon micromanages their workers mm -hmm. and workers there feel that they can't take bathroom breaks at all because of the rate they're required to keep up. But, I mean, we have to thank capitalism for because without it, who would ever design a toilet to be less comfortable? Why would you do that? <laughs> that's that's Juicero Award-winning material right there. That's what it is. It's, the, the thing that's incredible to me is that – so in the same article, they, they kind of talk about how the bathroom is the one place that you at this point have any privacy at work because, well, no one wants to go in there and see you do that, right? Mm -hmm. And there are two things that that occurs to me. One – any locus of privacy is also a locus of individualism it, and weirdly also a locus of organizing. Any moment that you have that you are not under your boss's watchful eye is something where you could be doing something that they don't approve of you doing. So They don't approve of you pooping. They don't. <laughs> you know, uh, so you have the Amazon approach, which is just to make it impossible for you to do so. And then you have this approach, which is to make it uncomfortable. Uh, or as uncomfortable as possible. And all I could think of weirdly, there's a quote by Stephen King about how when he started writing, the reason he focused on particular sort of um, sexualized horror is that in the 70s and 80s, he saw that as kind of the real privacy front, that that, that was the thing nobody wanted to talk about, what goes on in the bedroom. That was the, the locus of horror. And then by the 2000s, he had changed his mind and noticed that now that people were openly talking about sexuality and so on, or more openly anyway, the locus of horror had changed to the bathroom. Mm. And so I, I think what I'm saying is that Stephen King may have been, without realizing it, ahead of his time in how capitalism was going to start tamping down on things. It, if you widen out the bedroom part of it to include yeah. you know, the employee's home, we've taken that away completely. There is no work-life balance anymore. Mm -hmm. That just doesn't exist anymore. And now we're even taking away the bathroom, which... I mean, in a just world, what this would lead to is an epidemic of employees just, you know, on the factory floor, so to speak. But one, one joke I saw about this was, you know, jokes on you. I'm going to get insanely ripped doing this. <laughs> going to build my core strength. No one gets to skip leg day now. Now, this is our runner up in the category of innovation. Our number two, if Abs you will. <laughs> Um, it's uh, absolutely horrifying every little bit of this. Yes. The the fact that that is not the winner, I mean, the, I don't even want to know what's now, coming. innovation so often takes the form of just reinventing something that already exists and pitching it towards millennials. That was the great innovation of a way. Yes. Was, that That's also why the Uber loop was the uh, other term for the award. Yes, the... Uh, Bus. The joke was that Uber had invented buses, and yes. we see this a lot with Silicon Valley, people inventing things that the public already did yeah. in a way and Better. wanting credit for it. With that in mind, I want you to listen to this sentence from an article in Wired and tell me if you can parse just what this winner is inventing. Focused has a deceptively simple premise. What if you could pay someone to help you accomplish undistracted work for a couple of hours? <laughs> Did they invent blinders? Oh, no, Babysitting. No. They invented bosses. Oh, my what? God. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Holy crap. For $40 a pop, co-founders Nodira Kusanova and Lee Granis, 40, put on a study hall of sorts, perfect for a certain breed of multitasking, multi-side hustle, 21st century adult. 
They Okay, so babysitters. <laughs> well, yes, but yeah. also bosses. Bosses. Yeah. Managers. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. They had they got you to pay someone to be your boss. Yep. They oh, that's have so good. That's really That's such a good grip. It makes it Oh it, my god. Absolute so, genius. It, it is though. It, it's absolute pogey oh first level material because the thing about it is as suspect as I find the claim that society is infantilizing us, some of the ways in which it's true, and Lou, you've said this on other episodes before, is that everything now has to, in some weird superficial way, remind you of your childhood. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, beers have to taste like toaster strudel now or whatever. And this is perfect because it's something that you hated when you were a kid, presumably, like no one liked study hall. Mm-hmm. Even I didn't like study hall, and I was an absolute nerd. <laughs> but Wise. when you leave the school system and you start working for a living, and if you're somebody who's, I don't know, uh, renting out a WeWork space with six other people that you don't know, so you can put a, your computer someplace and you know have your kombucha tap near you, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I have thought of the possibilities for integration here already. Trust me on this. Oh, my God. I can't wait. But the thing about this is if you're that person, you realize on some level this is messed up. This isn't how work should be. So, of course, the solution instead of – if you're somebody who's who's very tech savvy and who's very millennial in a certain way, the solution is not – Let's organize for better workplace conditions or let's try to, I don't know, improve society somewhat. It's instead, let's just invent an app or invent a service where you pay someone to do that for you because that's the only transaction a lot of us understand these days. It's like it's fee for service. It's I will pay you to, in this case, manage my time for me because I understand that otherwise I may not be able to do that myself. What I like about this is that it really compresses the usual relationship between workers and their managers, you know? Instead of just managers getting this unseen cut of, you know, whatever a company makes, you now directly pay the manager to do what the manager was doing in the first place. So good. You know that every middle manager in some other company is like, well, huh, interesting. And you know that every upper management – person is trying to figure out how to adapt this within their own company so so that they can just stop paying their managers altogether. Now, this is all pitched as every company has to be now in the language of, you know, empowerment, in the language (laughs) of, you know, helping people. Uh, Quote, focus doesn't treat procrastination like a personal moral failing. Its founders believe that people probably can't do everything they want to alone. They need a real life human supporting them, even if it's someone they pay. Oh, my God. But... Here's the thing I don't understand. What exactly is this person supposed to do? Like, it's, what do they do? Do they just watch you do what you would be doing? I, I imagine like the standard model of the the what what is this company called? Focus. Focus. Focused. Sure. Okay. Uh, they they keep you focused on your job, and they like set deadlines for you, and be like, oh, you said you were gonna do like uh, twenty five orders in this today and you're only at 15 come on you can't go home until you so, do that so wait no no uh-huh. i need to keep going and it, so that's the standard model and then there's like a premium one that will also do like reviews on you and like performance reviews <laughs> where you can and then the- if you pay them a little extra money they fire you too <laughs> yes they start taking vacations yes. <laughs> 
Uh, I love this so much. Each session lasts two and a half hours and begins with a short one-on-one consultation with either Kusanova or Granis about what the client wants to achieve. The point of these opening questions is not only to help people set goals, but also for focused founders to find the best ways to hold them accountable. Kusanova asked me, for example, what should I expect to see on your screen? So they are... So they invented teachers. Is what they babysitters. Yeah, teachers. it is study hall. That that metaphor is very apt, because what they actually invented is something that is supposed to happen in classrooms all over this country every day. And increasingly, if you listen to the ed reform types who say that you know a good classroom should just be a bunch of kids quietly working on things, um, on math problems or sentences or whatever the hell you want them to supposedly do, and you as a teacher are just their boss. You're just there to ask them, you know, please do your work. Here's your deadline, blah, blah, blah. But that's all you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to acclimate them to being drones. Um, Uh, Except, of course, if you're a teacher, you don't get any of the automatic respect that comes with somebody that you actually directly pay to provide you with a service or with the automatic respect that you get from somebody uh, from being somebody's boss. So that's great. Every 20 minutes, Kusanova checked in on my progress and gave me an update about the t- amount of time remaining in the session. About halfway through, as we had agreed upon, she took away my phone and put it in the waiting room. It's a common service she and Grana say clients ask for, although some are reluctant to give up their devices even if they want to. I can't think of a better word than babysitting, but I'm not sure that's the is. perfect analogy, said Andy Van Sickle Ward, a software developer who used his focus session to finally organize the hundreds of emails that languished in this inbox. Wow. I mean, this is extremely symptomatic is what Mm -hmm. it is. This is the result of a working world that asks us to do everything all the time Mm -hmm. that puts us at the mercy of people like the other geniuses that we've been talking about this whole time. Um, If you're somebody who has the honor of working for one of these very stable higher powers that be, then you don't really, you don't, you spend a good portion of your time and your effort when you're supposed to actually be productive and, and get, get stuff done. What you're actually going to spend a lot of your time doing is just managing expectations. It's just trying to decide how to avoid my boss off today? How do I do the amount of work that needs to get done, but also do it in a way where I don't get stuff thrown at me or where I don't cause a 35 message Slack rant or where I don't give my boss the impression that I'm Satan and he needs to tell me to get thee behind me. And I think there are a lot of people for whom, you know, their work experience is not one of constant productivity. It is one of finding the way to do the least amount of work Mm. in the amount of time they have to be at the office. And this is sort of a weird inversion of that. Yes. It's people either are always on the go or Mm -hmm. they're at a job where they have nothing to do. It's It's, What it ultimately is is – so ages and ages ago, there was – I I think his name is Daniel Pink. Had this book on motivation of what makes a good job a good job, what results in good employee satisfaction – And I never remember one of the three components, so hi, Rick Perry of Punching Out right here. (laughs) But the other two are mastery. Your employees should feel that they're getting better at what they do. And autonomy. Your employees should have some choice in what they do and and some control over how they spend their time. And the problem is that with all of these uh, newfangled tech apps and businesses and whatever, there's either too little mastery or too, too little autonomy or 
too much autonomy, I guess, sometimes. There, there's, but in either case, there is a lack of actual choice. There's either no direction from management and you're just kind of supposed to just uh, do whatever all day. And that's- You're not getting any feedback on Slack. Yes. Uh, you know, Steph Corey, again, that's her genius. But <laughs> on the other the hand, hand, you might have too much micromanagement, too much direction, and then you also don't have any choice. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is uh, these are both, uh, these are the two edges of the same sword. We we don't have, it, it ends up not having a middle where you have actual control over your work day, but not so little direction or not so little um, goal setting that you essentially can't do anything because you don't know what you're headed towards. You don't know uh, what you're supposed to to get better at, essentially. And I mean, I, it, that's obviously true for some jobs more than it is for others. But I'm looking at the clock now, and it seems that for the first time in the history of award shows, we are running past our allotted time. <laughs> so what we're going to do here is... So the orchestra is going to play us out now? <laughs> yes. Obviously. Um, instead of rushing through all of the other geniuses of the year, that would be unfair to them. We're going to come Agreed. back next week. We're going to... Do part two of the Genius Awards 2019. The Pogies. To discuss <laughs> all the brilliant people who lord over us in the world. Can't wait to see you then. For this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Noah. And I'm Lou. This is the Punching Out Genius Awards. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.